welcome to Reality Bites, a podcast about sex, love, relationships, and dating in the digital age. I'm Courtney Kosak. And I'm Steve Hernandez, just sitting here daydreaming about our event tomorrow or tonight or, or last week, depending on when you're listening. It's at the Pleasure <laughs> Chest in West Hollywood, 8 o'clock. Uh, we're interviewing Jacqueline Friedman about her great book, Unscrewed. I mean, it's all I can think about. It's a really good one. <laughs> yeah, we're both burning through it. So we've read the whole thing uh, by the time because it just came out. We interviewed Jacqueline. I can't wait. Uh, it's really interesting. And I'm listening to the audiobook and reading it. Oh, you're doing both? Yeah. Because when, we when Julie and I went to Palm Springs on the way there and back, I'm like trying to I'm trying to get the whole thing through. And yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, Jacqueline, we'll see how it goes. But I think I've fallen in love with the lilt of your voice. Uh, <laughs> You do very interesting things, so yeah, that it should be our chemistry should be off the charts on the stage tomorrow. So make sure you guys. I'm just go to gonna the sit there and watch them. <laughs> no way, this kind of stuff. The book is really great, and it's all about you know consent. Uh, yeah, and 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 the history of feminism in America. These kind of things, I always wonder about. I'm always like, I shouldn't talk at all. <laughs> I know it really makes even this some stuff that I thought I knew or whatever that yeah. I got a little bit wrong that I was like uh, you know cause I've read a couple feminist books but like <laughs> clearly there's so much shit that I don't know yeah I would talk about it more right now but I'm going to save it for the stage so you guys if you're in the LA area get your ass to the pleasure chest tomorrow that's Thursday uh is it the 30th tomorrow right yes it's and and maybe just maybe we'll be having drinks nearby. Oh yeah, and you you can crash in on it. So I'm, yeah, I'm picking up a thirty pack of beer for the event and some water if you like water, and then uh, that's free. Just come to the event. We're gonna have a great live podcast. I believe my in laws are gonna be there and Julia. Yes. But if you think that I talk crazy on this thing, you got to see how crazy I talk with the person right in front of me. Because then I feel like I have more permission to do it. Because the way I talk on this thing sometimes about Julia, I know some of you got to be like. What a fucking monster. How, why does she stay with this loser? But if you see, she'll laugh. She likes, she likes it all. <laughs> I mean, she doesn't like it all, but she likes it all. Yeah. It's, okay, so... How was your Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving was good. What did we do? Oh, it was our second year of going to his cousin's place. And his cousin lives in Westlake Village. And uh, he's, like, got a family. He's, like, a full, like, grown-up. Um... And that so was it's really just the fun. Two, it's just you guys and his family. It was his. It was his family. He like is married to this Russian woman, and they have two kids. How many people are there? I don't know, like ten or twelve. Okay, a couple other nice. people showed up. Yeah, it was nice. And like, I don't. I called my mom, but like, I don't. I don't. Haven't been home for Thanksgiving since I moved here. I don't think. Well, Thanksgiving's so dumb to like go home for. Right. Yeah, unless it's a big thing. for But your it's family. my favorite holiday. Really, like, I love that it's gratitude based, and it's like really about the people that you've chosen to make your family and i love those qualities of the holiday but did you guys bring anything to the event <laughs> no we brought flowers Ugh. but we are literally the worst they they think they're like this restaurateur he's gonna bring us like this nice bottle of wine or whatever uh. and he was kind of just like nah fuck it we don't need to but he hooked it up because those two girls were dying his niece his nieces or whatever that they, they are um we're dying to see hamilton they've been obsessed and he was like oh we gotta i was like they should see it he was like we gotta make this happen so him and uh his aunt which is their grandma uh threw down and got these girls tickets to hamilton the next day and they went and saw it and they for were like christmas for yeah for just like it's not like he's not like probably wouldn't think to buy them a gift for Christmas normally. Okay, all right. But he just, like, did it. So, I mean, which, that's at least a few hundred bucks from away, right? right? That's like, we didn't have to bring a bottle of wine. No, 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 yeah. <laughs> so did he, at, at the Thanksgiving thing, they talked about Hamilton, and he's like, let's get tickets for tomorrow or something? We were like, well, we just saw it, and it was great. And they were like, we love Hamilton. And I was like, oh. Jeez, <laughs> that's very sweet. And that's very generous. Yeah, I would, I, I'm going to buy my nephews for Christmas. Uh, Universal City Pat, uh, Universal City, or what's it? Yeah, that's what it's called. What's it called? Universal Studios oh. Passage. Oh, that's so, yeah. really sweet. Yeah, but I mean, those are my real nephews, not this second cousin bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and even then, I'm like already like, geez, I can't believe I'm doing these for these little motherfuckers. They're so spoiled already. But it's like, I don't buy them stuff that often because they're too spoiled. So I'll tell my sister like, what? Just tell me what to get them. And she's like, I don't know, man. 
and she'll send me like some dumb pics. They, they weren't really into like Nerf guns for a while. Like, you know, they got these $50 Nerf guns, $100 Nerf guns. Oh my God. And uh, yeah, I remember I bought them each a $50 one and then they unwrapped them and they threw them on this pile. And then their dad made them a wall for these guns. They have like 40 of them. And I'm like, I just felt like a fucking idiot. I was like, I'm never buying you chumps anything again. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to throw down for that thing. But yeah, it's very nice of him. We went to... Uh, Julia's folks are in um, Valencia, so we spent the night that Wednesday and slowly drank with her sister who's visiting. Her sister's, um, she's going to get her PhD. She wants to become a psychologist. She like just like a couple years younger than Julia or She's something? seven years younger than her. So oh, she's really? like 23. But her name's Siri and she's, uh, she's really funny and smart and beautiful and she's only down like a few times a year. So she was there. So we just... Drank with her folks, and her folks slowly fell asleep at the table on Wednesday night. And everyone just, you know, we just got drunk. Then we went to the, some local bar out there and had a drink, and they knew the DJ. And then we took an Uber back, and then we just got drunk till 4 a.m. debating things. And uh, then we had a wonderful dinner. I like her family because they're great looking, and it feels like, finally, you know, this is where I belong. That's you know so I mean? funny. I saw the picture of you yeah. with their family. You guys yeah. all looked, it looks, it looked more buttoned up than I think it actually was. No, it's pretty buttoned up. Oh yeah. I love our folks a lot, but they're pretty like her dad used to be a pastor and he's in finance now, but they're like, they're very like sweet people. And her dad like says the F word sometimes, but it doesn't sound right. <laughs> like they're very, very like, and they like talking and stuff. They're great people. I, I really, uh, and they've been nothing but sweet to me, but it's, Kind of buttoned up, even though they love me and everything like that. It's it's great. Uh, we had a great time. And then the next day, went to a bunch of other Thanksgiving stuff. I really am saving my good Thanksgiving stuff for the show tomorrow at the Pleasure Chest. I told Courtney before, I was like, we'll just skimp over that because I got some good shit. Well, I have an argument that I, I would just like to update the audience on my relationship alarm clock situation. Okay. If you guys recall... Uh, Courtney set 40 alarms and her and Wade would got It's a like huge an act of terrorism. All right, so go on. <laughs> so, he called me out on it and I did what He called me out on it. I'll give him credit. He had to do it a couple times. But when he made it a very serious point that it was you know, affecting him in all these ways, then I stopped setting so many alarms. I I'm now down to two alarms tops. I think that's a fair number for a person that's trying to get out of bed in the morning, right? And I, unfortunately, I have shit to do early in the morning because like, you know, I, I, there's a ton of obligations and it's just a busy time. So he basically had another explosion equal to the, the initial one that started me on this path. And I was so pissed. I was like, can we not acknowledge all the work that I've done up until this point? Most of the time, it only takes me one alarm. What do you, guys, what do you think? <laughs> so he got mad because you kind of are backsliding? I'm not backsliding. So why did he get mad again? Because any alarms, apparently any alarms is too many alarms. I just feel like I want credit for, for doing the work of really getting over my ad alarm clock addiction. <laughs> So, I mean, what happened? I told him I told him that was fucked up. Uh, yeah, no, we. Ha I actually, I was pissed, but then I had to go to work. But then later in the day, I pointed out all the stuff, the progress that I had made, and oh, oh, he has this ongoing joke where because of the alarm clocks and the dog and whatever, he jokes quote unquote, that he's going to move across the hall. Like he's going to have another place <laughs> across the hall. And it fucking kills me. It's not a funny joke. <laughs> it's not going to happen. It's the worst thing in the world. So I basically like was like, listen, the joke <laughs> is over. <laughs> How about a Fitbit? Um, do you know that a Fitbit has an alarm setting on it? And no. it just vibrates. Does it wake you up? Yeah, it vibrates. So you set you set it uh, an alarm on on the app on your phone, and then put your phone in the thing, and then like an alarm, it starts vibrating on your arm, and it wakes you up in the morning. Oh. And tell him about that, and make him buy you the fucking Fitbit. 
I like this idea. Yeah. Troubleshooting. So, yeah, so it's real easy and because yeah, the guy's a restaurateur. He stays out late. He stays up late. I know. I mean, you wake up at seven o'clock or something like that. I would be pissed too. So it's just like, oh yeah, let's get the Fitbit. It'll vibrate. Won't wake him up at all. What about the joke about him moving across? The hall? It's hard to live with someone if you guys aren't compatible living together. Oh, we. No, you're not. You're we fighting. Are, I, no, I think it would be. It's just that it's another human being. It's like of all the people, we actually have. We're pretty compatible, but. It, as far as like, you know, we Why both does it, like it You don't think he clean. really wants to move across the hall, do you? No, I think that I, this is a generalization, but I think that almost every man in a relationship has this like escape fantasy. And like, <laughs> it's a, it's just, I don't know. My dad ribs my mom sometimes and it's like, he's not really leaving. He's been there for 30 years. So why does it bother you so much if you know he's just joking or if it's a fantasy? I know, I guess a woman, I guess it feel, feel bad if someone's like trying to get away from you. But also if that's in every man, just let them joke. Do you think it's in every man? Well, I can't wait for my Russian roommates to move out because I, I am going to sleep in that bedroom sometimes. Yeah. Away from her because I do want my fucking, yeah, you know, as a man, you know, I'm looking out. We're supposed to be in an open wilderness with the stars above us. Have you ever peed out? I mean, you haven't even... You know what it's like to be a man to slam open the door at night, look up at the stars, fucking pissing on the ground and looking at the stars and thinking about God and pissing, looking at your cock and thinking about the sky oh, and God. And, crazy. Yeah. It feels good. That's what, that's what we were created to do. Oh, my you God. It's to be out free in the open. And you, you guys have domesticated us. But remember... You just still want to be there, off in another apartment there, sniffing your own farts. There's still a lion in that cat, okay? <laughs> we were still meant to be lions, okay? Whatever. Let's talk to Casey. <laughs> well, shouldn't we uh, introduce her? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, although we just do. Casey Coop is so, uh, so great. And uh, she talked to us about uh, sex work and uh, about her alcoholism. And if you don't follow her on Twitter and Facebook... Uh, get on that follow her she's an amazing writer and yeah i guess we don't have to talk about it too much because we're about to listen to her and you guys are listening to the episode but i just wanted to make sure you got a proper introduction to our friend casey coop you guys we have a special guest for you casey coop a uh, host of your own podcast casey's freak show uh two e's and Steve's friend, yeah? Yeah, she's my friend, but I mean, you know, she's more than my friend. <laughs> I don't want to just narrowly seen, define seen, her as I, your friend, but I'm just the, saying uh, she's, she's a, a friend, comedian. She's, she's a comedian and uh, she's a she's friend a, of this show. She's a dancer. Would you call yourself a stripper? I say stripper, yeah. Do you, you, could, you don't really strip though, do you? It's a bikini bar, so technically we don't take off our top or our bottom, So, but we give lap dances and we pole dance. It's essentially the same thing. Okay. I have done nude events before, so. Does, that, does that feel different than just with the bikini stuff? Um, you know, it was very different. So it's hard to compare um, doing bikini dancing to nude private event because of the private event. There were hookers there like there was private rooms they set up in this kind of like warehouse in Inglewood. And <laughs> what was the what was the nature? I of can't the, I yeah, can't yeah. go into it's details. It's like a private event kind it's of. It's a, a thing. private event. I can't go into details, unfortunately. Other than. There was like every level of sex work there. It's like the most exciting. Like I loved, Ooh. I did it two years in a row. Like the first year I did it, I'm like, is this real life? And and I'm sober. I don't drink or anything. So I went through the whole thing stone cold sober. And there was like every level of sex worker. There was um, bikini bartenders. So the bartenders wearing bikinis. There was go-go dancers who were dancing in little outfits. There was strippers who were, we were nude dancing on poles. And then there was escorts there supposedly to hand out business cards for later but then they just use the private rooms as well (laughs) it was bananas but like i love weird shit so it's just hard to compare that to like a very pg-13 environment of the bikini bar although i will say going back this year a year later like knowing what that nude event was about and what it'd be like it i thought it was kind of funny because like walking butt ass naked stone sober through this this warehouse of men um I my heart didn't even quicken I was like that's crazy like I'm so comfortable with this like it's just a job to me and and a fun one like it's just 
it's fun to get into weird situations. Yeah. Like I love weird shit and just feeling like a voyeur of my own life kind of. Um, but it's hard to compare it. Well, I, I don't think it, I think if you, if, uh, I'm putting myself in your shoes, but if there's, uh, sex workers, there women that are, are getting paid to have sex there, then even though you're naked, you're still like, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I think just working in the bikini bar for as long, it's been like over two and a half years, as long as I have, you just stop being self-conscious about any part of you. Like there's nothing I'm ever self-conscious about because you're just used to just dancing around almost naked. When you go in there, I'm a bartender and I, I they're not the same thing, but um, do you go in there thinking like, all right, I'm going to have fun. And the more fun I have, the more money I'm going to make. Is, yes. is that your mind frame? Pretty much. Um, I try to actually go in in a positive like mindset. Like I'm on this gratitude list email chain with some girlfriends. Yes. And every day we write 10 things we're grateful for. And it actually just helps to reframe like your view of the world uh-huh. and your view of the day. And even when supposedly bad situation comes up, you, you immediately see the good in them. It's like retraining your mind. So I'm always trying to be in gratitude when I go in because if I'm going in like, oh my God, like I make more money. Like if my boyfriend had just fucked me, like I'm going in like loose, easy, free, like uh-huh. I'm attracting energy and good energy and money to me like if I go in a good mood like people literally just come out of their way to say hi and hand me 20s like I will say that the industry is dying I will say that the strip industry is dying and it's not that good of money anymore why do you say that why do you think that's happening um the girl older girls have always said that the ones who are like late 30s and their 40s in the club like who've worked in it for a long time they've always said it's always been on the decline But I feel like even in the two and a half years I've been there, it's fucking accelerated. And that's due to lack of middle class. Like I was talking to one dude about how when someone would have a good week at work, they'd come in and blow it at the strip club. He's Ah. like, no one's having good weeks at work anymore. Or the abundance of free internet porn. Or even like for me, like I know a lot about like escorts and like pricing Uh and it's just like there's no jobs anymore, so the sex market, the sex industry is saturated. There's really young girls who are hot doing <laughs> bareback for like nothing. Like, you know, why would a guy come get a lap dancer? They can't even touch me. Yeah. Yeah. So it's crazy. It's just, I mean, I'm watching the decline. I feel like I'm in the Titanic, and I'm like, I need to get the fuck off. <laughs> so I saw a post. I follow you on Instagram. Very adoring fan. Um, <laughs> awesome. And I saw a post, though, about that you're maybe planning your exit. Yeah, I kind of want to give it a year um, because part of me, like, will go into work, like, and I'll be in abundance. And then I'll just sit all switch because it's so bad. Like, I'll be on stage thinking, like, this is my last night here. Like, no one's tipping me. Uh No one's buying dances. The clubs become, like, overwrought with, like, hipsters and, like, girls and there's nothing. Oh, it's no. I'm like, I'm going to go in right now because like it's not a sexism thing. It's not because when young girls come in and these hipster young girls coked out of their minds, like the societal view is that the strippers are the ones coked out of their minds. No, these little hipster girls come in, coked out of their minds, try crawling on the stage, like distract from the stage, have their friends and guy friends and boyfriends uh. look at them, try to put on their own show. Don't tip us. They're basically cock blocking our money. And, like, being completely disrespectful, whipping out their phones to record it on Snapchat. Like, there's, like, anonymity things in there where girls can't have their identities found out for various reasons and safety reasons and, you know, employment reasons. Um, It's crazy, but I'm just so over it. Um, But, yeah, sometimes I'll be on stage like, this is my last night. But instead of just doing that, like, cut and run thing I love to do because I'm very impulsive, Mm -hmm. I'm like, let me just give this a year. It's still, like, pretty good money enough it's I like it better than any other kind of job I've worked and like keep the feelers out there for something else maybe like I don't know I'm sober so working in treatment's always an option like a lot of sober people do but I still like dancing and I still like it it's just like the money is just not there anymore yeah well, I remember before you started <laughs> dancing uh, you used to work at restaurants and you would just be crying all the time on your yeah. post right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was well I was just very depressed and I think a lot of the depression stuff had gotten out of control, but you know, working customer service is a bitch. <laughs> like in the strip club, like you run the show and you can uh-huh. say whatever you want and do whatever you want and actually like make money. But waiting tables, man, oh, that is hard on the soul. 
I love the characterization that, and I, I think I heard you say it on another podcast too, of just like that it's the best job you've ever had. And, you know, normally we don't think of it like that. We think of it as like something that you're like, just need to escape or something. Mm -hmm. And it's so cool. I don't know, to have such like a... Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about this the other day, how like it has such a negative stigma and how everyone thinks that all the girls in it are super sad. But I don't think the industry would exist if there weren't happy sex workers. Because if it was really that bad, no girl would work in it. Sure, some might out of more desperation than others, but like we all know we could just work somewhere else. (laughs) Like... Girls that work there, just a lot of them like dancing. A lot of them like having crazy, like, physical appearances, like their hair, their tattoos, their piercings. Um, They like the freedom of the scheduling. We like dancing. Some girls are just super good at hustling. It's a sales job. You're selling yourself to these guys. Like, I sit with them for 10 minutes, you know? It's a sales job to get the lap dance. So it's just, like, whatever suits, like, there's different kinds of girls in it and whatever suits your talents. And I, I think as long as you're making the money, like you're making the money that you feel like I deserve, yeah. then it's like, oh, yeah, this is a great job. But you just keep saying the money's declining. When yeah. the money's declining so much, and I'm like about to be 30, um, well, in a year. But I just like my back hurts and my knees. The, the heels are like fucking up my knees real bad. I don't need to get into money specifically, but has it gone down like 25%, 50%, like that kind Ooh, of stuff? Ooh, you know, I think every, it's so hard to say because I've only worked at one club. Yeah. So where I work, my average has maybe gone down like 25% since I started. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And things keep getting more expensive too. I mean, uh, life like, is uh, more expensive yeah, yeah. and your money's going down. Yeah, in LA especially. How many uh, shifts a week do, do you work typically? Just three. Just three? Just three. And that's usually enough to cover all your stuff, what you want to do? Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I bartend two nights a week. And yeah. And I'm like, so whatever. And I'm not rich or anything It's like comparable that, to bartending money, I'll say at this point. Oh, really? Jeez, mm. that's not good, right? Well, I don't know. How, I guess it depends on the bar, but... <laughs> I don't know. Talking to friends, like, yeah, it's not that different. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I guess, um, which I, I think that's that's the argument I've heard that I actually agree with in terms of uh, making um, prostitution legal is that you could set up your own schedule and um, work a couple days a week. And uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, this, uh, they're, they're not the same thing, but we're talking about sex work in general. Sex work. Oh, yeah. yeah. I talked to one Australian guy at the club once who explained how the legalized like prostitution works in Australia. And it was so cool. Like he described the whole way through and it's like these beautiful women and, and they're in these little these like rooms and everything is clean and you get a certain amount of time. It's very specific laid out beforehand what you're allowed to do. You're always wearing a condom. It's just very regulated. And he's like, the women are beautiful. And it's like the set amount of time and money. And it's very clean, you know? Like, I was like, wow. Like, because Lord knows, like, escorting, like, I hate that people won't acknowledge the fact that it is as common as it is. Like, we all know lots of guys who've had a prostitute I know so many and I think they're more open with me about it than they would be with like you know civilians (laughs) normies I don't know (laughs) what you'd say but like and girls who've done it you know there's not that many jobs anymore (laughs) and uh I you and I I think it was Wendy Starling you guys were talking about Mm. how I mean what's the difference between like dating a rich guy yeah there is no difference you know what I mean (laughs) Just like, it's just semantic, or it's not just semantics. It's like sort of like expectations also, but the line is just blurry. I mean, we it just is. come from a puritanical society, so people don't like to think of sex like that. But I, I think there's so many positives to if we were to make it legal to that that people would men would have a clear head where if they're having sex with a beautiful person that treats them well and likes them too and they're able to pay for it they would feel better about themselves we wouldn't have all these crazy lonely guys I I was about to say that the lonely guy thing and you know what like getting into sex and dating tied in with all of this 
because of my job and meeting so many of these dudes at the club, like a lot of them are not just what that, I, I think also people think the strip club customer is equally sad and pathetic and lonely. And that's simply not true. I've had plenty, I've had like celebrity hot guys. I've had across the board, you know, rich, poor, everything in between works in the industry is successful industry is a starving artist, like all of it. And there's just like a need for connection. And in this day and age in dating, I mean, there's been articles about how like our generation, the millennials or whatever, having less sex than ever before, uh-huh. even though it's like super available to us, supposedly through like Tinder swipe, and swipe, like, swipe. Yeah. yeah, when all these one night stands and this, we're just in this non-committal generation. So I think people are lonelier than ever before. Cause before my boyfriend that I'm dating now, like I was single for like five and a half years and I was sleeping around and going on Tinder dates and whatnot, but I was so fucking lonely. And you just, and like, there's this weird like game playing. I'm sure you guys know, like you have to wait to text back or like make them jealous or it's, it's now it's about acting like you don't care is like how to impress them, which now I realize is like the dumbest thing ever. And I would never do again. (laughs) Um, but in retrospect, that's what all my friends are doing. So everyone's still doing and they're Uh very lonely. So people are lonelier than ever before, you know? And sometimes the guys just come in and like, I, I noticed this, that sometimes when I give them lap dances, I, I love giving lap dances. Like I'm very good at it. I'm very sensual. It's kind of like, I feel like I'm performing a massage with my body. Like I love it. Like I'm really good at dancing and can, and like feeling people. Sometimes when I give lap dances, the guys will just close their eyes. Like, and it is no touch where I work. So they're just enjoying me moving on them. Like it's like, they're just enjoying that sensuality and that human touch. And, you know, like I said, I think porn is clearly taking away from the stripping industry. Um, but there is something to be said about, uh, like, body-to-body connection that people need. And, like, the fact that our generation just does not want to – we want to act too cool and we don't want to commit. Like, we and, – and, like, it's – I said there's – people are having less sex than ever before. People are fucking lonely, you know? I, I like now because of that stuff that goes on now, like I'm starting to have more reverence for like, I, I just hear interesting things about um, what is it like marriages that are like planned or set up or whatever. Oh, arranged pre-arranged marriages. marriages. I oh, think yeah. there's like articles about that too, where like the couples grow to like work together mm-hmm. and then love each other more than ever. Not that I'm like an advocate for that, but. You heard it here first, folks. No. Casey Coop loves arranged marriages. So, some people say that, I mean, obviously everyone's experience is different, but some people have like surprisingly loving relationships come out of it. Well, yeah, because relationships aren't really about uh, attraction too much. Once that yeah, stuff that goes happens away, at first, it goes yeah. away. Oh, yeah, we were talking beforehand about like the sex thing. Like when you're with someone long enough, you get a little bored, like at least for me. How long have you been with your boyfriend now? Um, just over a year. Oh, just a year. And I mean, he's I'm a still. Fine young boy, oh my right? god, he's super How old hot. Is he? I know he's much younger than <laughs> he's you. He's 24 and I'm 29. <laughs> His birthday's the girl. day before mine, but five years apart. <laughs> I know. I'm. I've always been a creep. Um, literally, my parents always been fun of me. Um, but he's super hot. But I think, yeah, the attraction thing that's like right off the bat. Like sometimes with sex even like we have to keep it fresh otherwise it's just like you gotta like gear up for it (laughs) i don't know i love our sex it's just like as time goes on it just like it's not as exciting totally that makes yeah Yeah, i mean you know i always say this on the podcast too but you know when you love somebody a lot they become your family and guess who you don't want to fuck yeah I mean, it's just, yeah, it's it's, so it's what we all always have to deal with. And moving on doesn't change because at the most you have, you get another year, year and a half with someone that all that juice and then you're left with the person again and someone mm-hmm. that you have to learn to work with and work through stuff with. Exactly. Yeah. But that's where I found like the most love. And that's what I was talking about. The prearranged marriages or whatever is like each time we work through a hurdle of some sort. Like, we were so much stronger. And I love it. Like, I'm like, wow, this is what a healthy relationship uh-huh. feels like. This is so rewarding. Like, fuck everything before now. Well, yeah. I think a lot of, in a lot of ways, our generation, too, has lost its, its reverence for family and what family means. So uh, with that kind of thing, it's like we have to make our family work for our family. But um, we don't really have that anymore. We're so disconnected from our folks and everything. And some mm-hmm. for some good reasons, too, because, 
you know, I don't I don't have the same values as my parents. I don't fucking get, I don't give a fuck with some of the shit they they care about. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to do that. But at the same time, if we are not like focusing on who we are on on a greater good or on something bigger than us, then sometimes you just get lost and you start doing things selfishly. Yeah. And oh that's my the god. Death of a relationship. That's something I'm learning. I basically I have like this mentor and she helps me so much through everything, especially relationship stuff. And like she's constantly reminding me. Even the other day, she like when I go to her with a problem, she's like, "Have you thought about like thinking about what makes Eric happy? Have you thought about like he's." He, he's very busy right now. He has a lot on his plate and I don't as, have as much going on. And I resent sometimes him not being able to spend as much time with me as we did our first year of the relationship, which got a little codependent as I easily slide into. <laughs> I love me some codependence. But, you know, I, I'm trying to fight against that because, you know, that's not healthy. But she just reminds me of like, why don't you do something for him without expecting anything in return? Because like you said, the selfishness thing, our generation's so fucking Uh. selfish. And like the kind of values like I'm picking up in her and my learnings, like I'm not a part of any religion at all. But like religious teachings have a lot to offer. And that's selflessness and giving and giving without receiving and like there are some familial at, like attitudes that are really helpful. Like we're wondering why our generation's so goddamn depressed and lonely and like disconnected. It's because we're so fucking selfish and we're not doing anything for other people other than ourselves unless we expect something in return. Yeah. That's why we're so fucking sad. I you read know? this great, uh, I can't remember if it was like The Verge or in the New York Times. It's, uh, she's, it's Footprints. She's talking about Footprints. <laughs> it was that then that, that religious there was, zine. That carried you on the back. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, though there was this great article just like about, because social media is like drugs. Like, it is. Like, oh, it totally is. They they want it to be like drugs. Oh, I think we, we must have read the same article too. Yeah, they. It's it's that one that talked about how everyone in Silicon Valley is yeah. getting unplugged because yes. they created our phones to be like drugs. They want us to be on them, and, and they created it that God, way. God, it's such a drug. Yeah, and so they, but they're all weaning off their phones and stuff now, like and, like oh, it really? is drugs. Yeah. Because they know. Because they know. Yeah. I'm not wow. saying it's like over or whatever, but but like these people that whose livelihood depends in brilliant part, people. Brilliant people on 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 us using these uh, Being on platforms. Instagram 50, 60 yeah. times a day. God. They still don't they still don't want to do it or they want to have a healthy relationship with it. Oh, I think in the article they uh, referred to opium dens. Yeah. Or, right? Yeah. It, we read the same thing. Yeah. The good earth. Yeah. They were like, now that sounds crazy. Or like that you would give your kid that. Or, yeah. you know. But that's what we're doing basically. But yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. We're so, se- we're so separate, but our mind is getting dosed with dopamine uh-huh. as if we are connected to mm-hmm. people. But we're just, It's a false connection. Yeah. yeah. So before I got sober, I was just like very obsessed. You know, like I was into alcohol, sex, drugs, like very in an addictive fashion and then Twitter it was like Twitter was like my drug uh-huh. because suddenly I was getting more likes and retweets than I would laughs at an open mic or it just you know seemed an easier route to success because I could get connections with much bigger people than I could in an open mic and in a way that was good and it gave me a certain platform and that's been fun but once I got sober I felt sick, like, using Twitter so much. I still, like, tweet, like, once a day if I have a thought. I don't scroll through it anymore. I don't read it anymore. Uh-huh. Probably lost a lot of followers and big ones because I don't interact on there anymore. Um, but it just didn't feel good inside. Like, it felt wrong in some way. Um, that doesn't mean I'm not still very addicted to social media. But I'm just I, – I don't read through Twitter. I don't read through my Facebook news feed all that much. I kind of scroll very little and – don't really because it just brings me right down and you know what that gratitude email chain thing i'm on does it's like the fucking reverse of what facebook makes you feel like because not only are you stoked about your abundance but you see others and it makes you happy for other people because facebook is just like straight up complaining all the time mm-hmm. and people just being excited about the little things in their life like you can feel happy for them and like, but yeah, oh yeah, but back when I was still drinking and all of that, I'd use Twitter very addictively and be constantly interacting, but I was so lonely. Yeah. You know, I'd have these like 
these text relationships with people across the country that like I'd never met before, but we'd talk all the time. Um, it was like a, a sim world. Like everything was a sim. Oh, that's funny. You yeah. know, it was like, it was like invisible friends because you don't have to be accountable to those people. When you have it, like what I've learned in a relationship is when you have a significant other, they are just a mirror to your own bullshit. I've, at least if your partner's healthy, because mine is. And when I act out, it is very clear who's in the wrong. And it's me. It's fucking me because I'm crazy. <laughs> um, and I have to learn the hard way and like realizing like, oh, damn it, Casey, you're being the asshole again. You're being jealous again. You're being insecure again. Fuck. And then you have to like go about trying to change those things. Uh, what was your uh, what was your first big relationship? And, and did you, I mean, how did you figure out you were codependent? Um, it was actually in college. Um, that was my own. I had two relationships before my current one. And the, the first was just a quick little, I lost my virginity in college, this guy. But the second was most of my college was with another dude. And he was great. Like, he was, he basically babysat me for three years. Um, <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh my God, Steve, I was out of my fucking mind. Like, oh I really my. love how, how much you know you're crazy and you just like let it rip. God, it's just become so much more clear now. Like, I knew it at the time and I'd acknowledge it and I was like, but I didn't know how to stop. Like, it felt like you just, re I was just reactive to my fears and my impulses sure. and my emotions, which felt so real. And I've learned now that emotions are not real, they pass. You know, and through meditation, I can like kind of separate myself from my emotions and watch them pass and let them pass. But in my younger years, it was just fueled by emotion, just like do whatever I felt. And my poor boyfriend, like he, I mean, I still like adore this guy to this day. He was great, but you know, we didn't really fuck. Like, I think I have some intimacy things that I hadn't worked through at all then. Um, we fucked very rarely, but he was always giving me gifts and taking care of me. And I was always exploding at him or getting really drunk and making a scene and like expecting him to pick me up from some random location at any given time. Um, sometimes one time he had to take me to the hospital with alcohol poisoning. And while I was in there and with an IV in my arm, you know, this text conversation I was having with another dude popped up. He's holding my phone and I'm like flirting with another dude. And, I don't allow him to be mad at me for that because I'm so manipulative and it's just like insanity. Like he just took care of me and you know, but the thing with codependence is like it takes two to tango yeah. and I'm you know, he was very giving, but his codependency I'm sure played a huge role there too. And I think there was, if we weren't fucking, I think there was some things going on. Um, I wouldn't say he was closeted. Like, I don't think he was, but but maybe a little. I don't know. I think there was. <laughs> Sorry, bro. <laughs> she does adore you still, though. I, but something. Well, you something know was there. A lot of people don't talk about off. this, but um, I know a couple of guys that are super codependent. They're both very good looking guys, too, and you wouldn't think about it, but their moms were. There's something very interesting with their mom. Their Ooh. moms were very troubled. So they True. only are, they only get activated. Um, and these are, like I said, these are great looking guys that they only get yeah, activated when there's women that treat them like shit. Uh, and, yeah. And, I mean, we all have our parental stuff. Like that's, that's a given. We all know this is like our relationships with our parents, like directly relates to our relationships romantically. Like it just, that's how yeah. it does. But I think that's such a, well, do you have, do you have like more, I mean, sometimes with sex work, we associate like daddy issues oh my gosh do you, do you have do you feel like i mean i can look at my s stuff and i'm like ah i feel like most of it comes from i have more stuff with my mom um yeah my dad is great like we we get along great and he's always been great i think my mom's like very sick um she just has a lot of the same things i have mentally and i think that their relationship was what I based my initial ones off of. You know, she was crazy and he was, he just kind of like looked the other way. Cause like that's how they knew how to deal with things is mm -hmm. to not deal with them and just, you know, be married, but not intimate. I don't know. They just, they have a partnership. And nowadays I actually have a lot more appreciation for their relationship. And I definitely 
didn't when I was younger. They're still together? Yes. And I was like, why are they together? They like don't even seem like they love each other. My mom's batshit insane. My dad <laughs> just puts up with it and doesn't say anything. Um, and they fight and I just don't get it. But uh, now in my life, like I just appreciate how they were able to stay together and like I could like see a partnership and and my my boyfriend his parents are still together I think their relationship's definitely more loving than my parents but I as a person with parents who are still married love dating a person who, with parents who are still married and I have dated my ex his parents were still married because I think like dating someone like that like we both have this like innate thing to make it work like where some partners will just run away and I don't think that's everyone with divorced parents, but I definitely know I'm like very drawn to people with yeah. parents that are together. I my parents are still together, and uh, you know my partners have had various pasts. But uh, my current boyfriend, there was definitely a thing, and like he wanted to be with me, so it wasn't it wasn't like that was the roadblock at the beginning. But like I would say, how many months? Maybe like eight or nine months, and he started to we we wound up we went to therapy a couple times about oh, it. Oh really? Yeah, which was great. It was she was actually like, thank you for coming now instead That's of awesome. later. What was the issue? The issue was just like it was manifesting in this way that I don't need to get into, but uh it was really about like he was like testing me a little bit. He was like, is she gonna s- stay Oh, instead of just talking to you about it. Instead of like mm-hmm. being like my parents didn't stay together. I'm, I want this to work, but I'm scared mm-hmm. that it won't. So I want to just see, you know, I want to just see if you're sturdy or yeah. something like that. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Sure, and therapists, sense. I feel like, will always be like, just try to communicate it. But our scared little child selves will just play these games and test people. And right, I know there's been times where I like tried to even very very recently I haven't done this in a long time but I like tried to push my boyfriend away like I had a really weird week and I was off in my mental sanity that I like to keep I usually work really hard at but I was off this week and I started pushing him away I'm like this is very old behavior like kind of just saying like are you gonna stick around Uh but that's not good that's not right like I should just talk about it you know, but you sometimes you don't even realize it's happening. Right? No, of course not. I'm just like, what am I doing? What do you? Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about it, Courtney, but you you did say you have some mom stuff. What do you? What? How? How did you respond, or how is that manifesting? Oh, it's just like uh, my mom. I will preface this by saying, like, you guys have a great relationship, and yeah, I know you love her. Yeah, so, yeah. You you've met them. Yeah, they're, they're like great lovely people. people. It's like not. It's not about, and that's like what a lot of people's problems are. It's not like. I mean, there are exceptions, but it's not like one person is right and the other person is wrong. It's just like we're different and how do we bump up against each other? But she is like, lives her life in a very conservative way. That, And I feel like I'm, I kind of have a conservative take on the whole like artist lifestyle. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I could be wild. It's not, it's not like... We're really not that drastically different, but to her we are, like, wildly different. And she doesn't understand a lot of, like, what has driven me in life. And it seems like it wouldn't be a big deal, but but that's because it's so broad and nonspecific. It it feels like she's, like, rejecting me a lot. How old were you when you started to feel this way? Um... I mean, it's just it just increased. The more agency I had as a person, the more that. Well, I've would. noticed that with my mom. I think their whole generation was just really not empowered. At least my mom, like yes. in any way. So, um, and a lot of my aunts and like those women in my life that are close to me, and it was just their generation. Like they were not empowered. They were told to find men. So it really scares my mom. Like she always pushed me to be educated and be independent because she never had that. But now that I'm those things, she is scared for me. She wants me to have some safety and some stability and, you know, but at the same time, like she was wanting to give me what she didn't have. So I think there's like a pull there. Yeah. Yeah. It's like this dichotomy. And you're very grounded. And Casey, as much as I know about you two, even the way you're talking right now, you guys are both 
approaching your art as like being grounded. You're talking about money a lot. And I know you have a couple of jobs where you wake up early and you, yeah. So you came out to LA wanting to be an actress, but you also like, okay, well I want to write now too, because that's a better way to express myself. And you're going about it in a responsible way. You're not being a dumbass or anything, but your mom might not pick up on that stuff. No, right? I don't think she, I mean, there's a beauty in your parents not wanting to consume the, I don't know if your <laughs> parents read your stuff, Casey, but Oh, I think like they. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. My mom once told me that she read all my articles, but like I know that she probably waited until she was like wine drunk to read them because they make her very uncomfortable. And I think my dad just doesn't pay attention like purposefully. Yeah. Yeah, it hurts them. I don't blame them. That would suck. <laughs> I know, but it's also to me so like narrow. It's like. It's like they can't, because there's no curiosity to see the whole picture, it's like they're they're actually missing out on the whole point. So I wrote this essay about, I sold t-shirts on the Girls Gone Wild tour. It was like a job that I had when I was like 20 or 21. And it actually was like, I get to the, on the second page of the essay, I'm like, I was part of the problem in the whole, I talk about situations that happened on the tour. And then I was like, I really was like one of the bad guys here, even though like, you know, I didn't feel like that or whatever, but she didn't get that far. She was just like, this is so against my belief system. You know what I mean? It's just like, because you didn't even allow yourself to get to the epiphany. I think like with my mom when I used to, I used to get super pissed at her because she was constantly like criticizing like everything I write. She would like unfriend me on Facebook and then add me again. She like, <laughs> she unfollows and refollows me on Instagram like all the time. Like if I post something stripper related, she unfollows me. And then I say she'll follow me back in to let me know that she unfollowed me. So it's just this constant like I disapprove. But what I've realized now is like she is just she loves me so much and she is so worried about me that she doesn't want me to do this work because she's so scared of me being harmed or stalked, which is a very real possibility. And that's her way of showing love. And Uh I didn't get that before. I was like, but she's not telling me that I'm doing well. And I've worked so hard my whole life to just for her to say something, you know, validating or just like, good job, you know, good work. You know, I overachieved as a as a student yeah, growing same. up in yeah. every way, and she just like couldn't say that I was it was good, you know. But that's because she wasn't given those tools, like she wasn't told those things, so she doesn't have that tool. But I used to like really hate her about all that stuff. But I think they're just worried about us. They're really just scared. They're like, we want them to be well, but the only way they can communicate that is by showing disapproval. That's what I've realized. Oh, that's Lady so Bird, good, guys. Lady Bird. Have you seen I haven't it? Seen I haven't it yet. seen it. No, you guys got to see Lady Bird. It's I know. All about this I want to see it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know what's? Yeah, I didn't know what it was about. Yeah, it's really it's great. It's a coming of age story, but uh, like a thirty percent of it is about her relationship with her mom, and it's exactly oh, yeah. what you guys are talking Ooh, about. So yeah. go out and see Lady Bird. Gotta uh, see it. Yeah. <laughs> see it. Um, no, I feel like yeah, we certainly aren't the only women with this kind of no, like relationship no, no. with our mothers, but. Yeah, I mean, it's so hard to, as much as we, I think our challenge always is to think of our parents as people. Yes. So that we can give <laughs> yes. them a break. And it sounds like, you know, you. it sounds like you've learned to do that. I'm always like trying to do that with my thing. My big issue with my mom is, you know, we're from an abused home and my mom like didn't leave. And I think some part of me when I was a kid just like hated that. And mm-hmm. I think when you're, when you're little, you don't know how to you know, all the things that all the people we are a lot, a lot of times are based on decisions that you made when you were five years old and you just said, this is how things are. So mm-hmm. to me, I think I must have been, I've had issues with, uh, you know, thanks to this podcast and all the wonderful women I've met in, in the past five, six years and throughout my life, but I've had issues with women. I think a lot of it is like where I've been like, oh, my mom's stupid. My dad mm-hmm. like hits her mm-hmm. and she stays. Mm-hmm. So ah. she's stupid. So I think I put that in there somewhere along the line. And uh, so that's been my issue. And of course, I get along great with my dad, who is the one abusing now. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm always trying to connect with my mom. And uh, thanks, thank God from all, like I said, all the women I've met in my life, I understand like what a victim my mom was. And, uh, you know, she she had my first brother when she was 15 years old. Mm-hmm. And she oh, just, God. she did not know how to get herself out of that situation oh yeah if i think about it now as an adult i'm like 
totally view things completely differently about my mom or, or your mom, like other people's parents and the, and abusive situations because we're like, well, why didn't they just leave? Well, they didn't have the tools to. And like, they probably thought like, how would I even like get employment and support these kids and a place to live? And what if this guy hunts me down and my family disowns me? And what if her family did disown her because they didn't believe in divorce or whatever? And like, it's so stupid, but I just like, I got a puppy a few months ago and it's so funny how just like raising this like crazy ass dog, like <laughs> has given me so much perspective. I'm like, how did my mom raise three kids in a row? Like I can't even raise a puppy, right? Like this is hard and exhausting. Like, can you imagine like a child screaming and crying all night? Like. Yeah, and you're Fuck. supposed to have the perfect response. It's like those yeah. women couldn't even leave the hotel room with Louis C.K. How are you yeah. supposed to extract yourself from an abusive relationship? Yeah, totally, yeah. totally. I mean, you, you seem to have so much clarity now. I, I, I cannot. <laughs> what I mean, what were you like when you were drinking? I remember. Yeah, I remember <laughs> when you were drinking, but uh. I mean, it must have been, you know. The opposite of now. Yeah. <laughs> the very, the 180. When did now. you start drinking? I mean, you said in college that you had to be taken to the hospital for alcohol poisoning. Yeah. When, when, did, when did you first start drinking? Was it in high school or was it in college? It was like 17. Um, and I waited, like, I felt like I waited a long time because I, I was just always hurting. Like, you know, alcoholism is a disease of the mind and the body. And it's like, Without alcohol, I'm still crazy and depressed and I have my issues and I use alcohol to medicate that. Mm-hmm. It's it's also like a physical thing. Like my body, once I put alcohol in, I want more and until either I'm passed out or there's just no other, you know. I, I just have to have more. So it's like alcoholism is an interesting disease. In the last, you know, what, two and a half years I've been sober – the reason I've changed so much is because I've done so much work in my recovery and recovery is all about changing the inner, the inside. It's about emotional sobriety. And these are all concepts that like, it's just hard to just kind of like summarize quickly in a podcast, but I've done a lot of work and it's basically very therapeutic stuff. It's very internal work. It's very spiritual work. So it's all this different stuff. And that's why I've changed so much. And people are always telling me that. And like, I see that and I, I appreciate that because you know, before I was just running on, like I said, emotion and fear and depression and all those underlying reasons why I'm an alcoholic. So I started drinking when I was 17. And, you know, I think there was a time when alcohol probably saved my life because it was like extremely suicidal for a long time and into college, very suicidal. I was still only drinking on the weekends because I had the scholarship and I had to maintain my GPA to keep the scholarship. And I was still very much like quantifying my worth with my grades and the Uh scholarship and my extracurriculars and being perfect. Cause that had always been how I, this was before I like social media really took off. You know, it was like, that's how I quantified my worth. So you can see how when I left college and graduated and moved to LA, you know, dick and drugs and, and social media validation then replaced what grades had told me I had worth because I had no self-esteem. So I was drinking those years in college and my senior year of high school a little bit you know, my parents were very protective, so I snuck it here and there with friends. But when I moved to LA, I had no more like of this like school holding me back. Um, and I was like, I want to be cool now. So like, <laughs> I was like, I was a fucking nerd then. I want to be cool now. I had read Jenna Jameson's autobiography when I was in college, and I was like, I'm gonna go do that. Like that's what I'm gonna do. I'm a, and like I wanted to have stories. Like I'd always played by the rules for so long, but the inner me, like I've always had this very rebellious streak, even though I did things very by the rules. Like a part of me was very like talk back to teachers or just like you'd say I can't wear shorts this short I'm gonna go shorter like Uh the part of me was very like anti-authoritarian even though I was still wanting to be perfect and kind of be the perfect one and I really let loose once I moved to LA because like drugs are around and I started doing comedy I moved here for comedy and you know sex like I was all I'm a fucking Scorpio like I wanted to have sex like for for since I was a kid like I think that like I was like an just an avid masturbator like my oh. whole like me too Casey. Since I was me like too. a little kid <laughs> I was like so horny as a kid I was so horny like I'd be in class in school all the time just like wet like so like how boys get boners I was just like wet and I was just like so horny all the time but like boys didn't talk to me they thought I was really weird and I was weird 
And they're just like, she's just like a lesbian. Like they just thought I was weird. And then I moved to LA and I could just like, just be a new person, you know? Yes. And I just like, was like, I'm gonna do it all. Go off with anyone who talks to me, like go be a yes man, which got me. I'm surprised I'm not dead because I just did like whatever came my way. What, what made you realize like, okay, this is like, I don't know what, what was happening when it was like rock bottom kind of like, I need to fix this situation. Well, it was just like those suicidal thoughts that had always been there. Um, just were getting louder and louder and louder. And I was using more drugs, using more alcohol and it was just not working anymore. And it wasn't numbing me anymore. And it wasn't quieting the voices anymore. And I was just drinking to die. I was like, this is, I can't like have this, this voice in my head. That's like, kill yourself. Like I can't, it's too loud. Um, and the distractions of like sex and go, go, go and grind open mics and just go and keep moving and don't sit still. Like just wasn't like distracting my brain anymore. And I just ended up like, I don't know, almost like overdosing on these pills and my heart was beating so fast, like all night long. And I thought I was just going to like, I was going to have a heart attack. Like and just like it just wasn't fun anymore. And I, I was like also just like living like you want to die like that purgatory was not cool like the in-between of like trying to die but not really dying and Mm -hmm. then like I was like I just need to either kill myself or get sober like it was very clear to me like stop playing this game um and yeah so when we talk about sobriety when when I talk about sobriety I talk about emotional sobriety a lot of the time so I got sober but once I took away the alcohol and drugs like I'm still me I'm still crazy how do I deal with that? Like, how do I become a grown up now? Because they always say, like, once you start drinking, like, as an alcoholic, like, you stunt your growth from that age forward. So, like, I was 17. Like, I got sober at 26. I had, like, the emotional maturity of a 17-year-old who had, like, never really dated. Like, my, like I said, my, uh-huh. my, my codependent relationship, like, God, if that wasn't a relationship. That was just me, like, having a babysitter, you know? I think I made him be the parent I never had, the one who just doted on me and worried about me and took care of me. I think that's what I did to him. Um, And I've since apologized, but... So how do you... So, like, it's easier... It's really clear when you're drinking or doing drugs and then when you're not. But, like, this other stuff is, like, harder, like Twitter or, like... Oh, yeah. Sex. Oh, all the addictive stuff. Yeah, all that stuff. How do you manage all the other stuff? Um, You know what? I think it's just like I I said, I work hard in my recovery because addiction is just – it's not like necessarily just alcohol. It's just a big black hole inside of me, and I will throw anything in it to fill it. Like sometimes (laughs) shopping lately has been a thing. I'll try – I'll do it all until it doesn't work anymore. I'm like – tattoos until like those don't really numb me anymore like just like keep going until it doesn't work anymore and so like when I start taking care of all those root causes of like my selfishness and my just like all my bullshit my insecurities like I've had to do a lot of work on like those areas of my life like I'll meditate I meditate every day and I meditate on like my self-worth and Mm -hmm. you know how to just be less selfish basically Cause that stuff like is what makes like holds you back. <laughs> like I've had, I've just done so much work in the last two and a half years. And sometimes it's like, fuck, I feel so, like I said, how I had that like little meltdown recently where I, and I got crazy with my boyfriend. It had been a really long time, but I'm, it, it frustrated me. Cause I'm like, am I ever going to be better? Like, am I always just going to be crazy Casey, like fucking psycho? But that's not true. Like I haven't been that way in, a, in some time. You know, but it's hard sometimes. You feel like, am I just always going to be fucking crazy? Like, damn. Like, you know. I think we're all always going to have our bullshit. Our demons. Managing it. Yeah. Yeah, managing our demons. (laughs) Like, fuck. Yeah, it is a bummer, though, too, especially being out here in L.A. You see people that have, like, healthy – that are 
I mean, we think are healthy or they have healthy relationships with their folks and everything. And it's like, oh, man, it seems like they're a step ahead. Uh-huh. Like, so it's like, geez, what do I have to do to play catch up with these fucking people? I think that's an illusion. Yeah. And I think social media makes that an illusion, yes. too. People always like, you look so great. You look so happy. Everything's great. I'm like, that's my social media. Like, I'm not going to post the days where I, like, always have a meltdown. Like, sometimes I'll make a joke about it. But I don't post every time I, I have an insecurity and act on it. That's one of my least favorite parts of social media is watching people. It, like, anytime it gets, like, too real when you're, like, watching someone have a breakdown on oh, social yeah. media, you're like, no, make it stop. Yeah. I can't look away, but please stop. Oh, yeah. I, I don't oh, know. Yeah. I, it's so funny because I'm as guilty. If people look at my Instagram, they'd be like, yeah, man, this guy has it going on. I've got <laughs> a great Instagram. What can I say? <laughs> uh, but, yeah, like, even like I said, that picture of, like, me and Julia – you know, she she punched me in the face two different times. We broke up. And you're not going to, like, post yeah. about that. Like, guys, <laughs> guess what she did. Yeah, so I'm not posting. You're not going to see. You look at us together and we're happy. And we are very happy right now. We're very in love. But, I mean, we do a lot of work. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's it has been a trying time. And, you know, in retrospect, I'm glad all that stuff happened because I think it's made our relationship be really great right now. But, yeah. Instagram's not the internet's not it for any like shades of gray or subtlety or anything like and that. And I don't think we're trying to make it look fake. Like I'm not trying to make my life look perfect. No. It's just like, oh, I'm when I'm feeling good about a thing, I'll post about the thing. Yeah. But like you were just mentioning about the breakdowns, like I used to just be like, I need to make social media more real. Actually, I was just like crumbling apart and I'm like, let me just like broadcast this because like you all are fake. And like you said, like, it's really hard to watch people have breakdowns on social media because like I see it now in some friends of mine and I, I'm just like, I remember I'm just reminded of like the old me and I'm like, oh God, like you feel helpless watching someone because uh-huh. nobody can have your help unless they want it. You know, like if I were to try to impose, they would be like, you're trying to change me. You're judging me. You're you know, moralistic, like you, it's hard, you yeah. know, to watch someone have a meltdown on social media. Yeah, for sure. So I feel like probably over the course of the last two and a half years, as far as like cultural touchstones, like the world is becoming so much more accepting and just open. And maybe that's like, I'm speaking from an LA bubble. But also, <laughs> totally. maybe it is a little more true across the board. Do you, do you feel it? I just in people's reactions to like sex work or stripping or whatever, do you do you feel that change? Um, in the bubble of LA, I do, but when I go back home to Oregon, I don't. Mm. So you know, we live in this awesome bubble, and I do think there's something to be said about our pro- progression in society. Like, but also like I think this whole be- because of I'm oh, sorry, the internet. And the internet's allowed so many groups who didn't have voice before to, like, connect and, like, be grown up and, like, do all this awesome stuff for progressive causes. But I think that the Trump stuff and all this, like, crazy Republican shit going on is pushback to that. Uh-huh. Like, so it's like, oh, yeah, look how much, how non-judgmental we are becoming as a society. Well, the right has pushed way back on that. And I really think that's because the last fucking five years, like social media has changed everything. Like I'm seeing like people be way more accepting of way more liberal stuff than ever before, like even five years ago. Um, And I think then Trump arose and people were so scared. Like we were moving so quickly in the direction of change that the pushback has been so fucking severe. So I don't really know if it's ever going to be better. It just seems like the pushback is so fucking strong uh, to whatever, like, you no, know. It'll swing back. That's what America is about. It's always swinging liberal and conservative yeah. and back and forth again because that's just the nature of people. But, yeah, as, as much as the Internet's helped people of color and minorities and queer people connect, now it's like, oh, these white mm. supremacists are really, like, <laughs> coming together from all across the country. Yeah. I know. Isn't that crazy? It's yeah. like they're all just there. They like just hang out now. <laughs> they they got they they don't have to be in their basements anymore. But uh, yeah, you know when people when we move too quickly, it'll swing back. It'll it'll right itself. And I don't yeah, know. You know true. I don't I don't know how. I'm I'm part liberal and I'm part conservative. So sometimes I think it's good that we reign because as the liberal part of me is always like let's push forward, push forward. But also that's 
might be dumb. Like we don't want to no, lose. No, but this Trump shit—that's uh, no. Monstrous. I actually am voting for Trump in 2020, and uh, <laughs> I'm choosing this place to oh, to announce it. No, of course the that's Trump. The but end Trump's of this podcast. The Trump stuff is like I don't. I mean, it, this is such a it's such a ludicrous moment in time where this guy is retweeting someone who uh, just was convicted of uh, harassing an Islam Islamic woman and think it was okay in front of our kids was convicted of a crime. He just retweeted her today. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this guy is a straight up lunatic. And uh, everyone loves him. There, I mean, you know, people. There is a large percentage of people that do love him and will defend him. But he, you know, he's just a cult leader at this point. Yes. People have just, if they've bought in, they don't. You, you could have released the tapes with him saying the n word and they you know, don't do care. whatever. They don't care. They haven't cared since day one. Yeah. it's so crazy. That's what was one of the things in that article. I don't know if you read that part of it, but they were just like that was. Some of the people in Silicon Valley, that was what they were having a problem with. They were like, we created this machine that helped elect this, like, psychopath. And Mm -hmm. now we feel like maybe there's some blood on our hands. Anyway. That's so interesting. This has been delightful. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you so much, Casey. Oh, yeah. And I'm glad that you're coming back to comedy. Yeah, me too. I've been doing a couple more mics. Um, I'm definitely writing some things. But, yeah, just trying to dabble back in. Yeah, and and I, I always say, you know, I don't. Uh, women comics are, are like the they're like currently and can be the rock star like what rock stars were in the 50s I think there's so much we don't understand about the women experience because they they haven't been allowed to talk about it that much so whatever way that ends up being mics are kind of like gross but I think there's mm-hmm. more and more mics that are ran by women that totally. are open um, where uh, you don't have to fit your comedy to be to be a, a male thing because we don't know really what like I mean, when when you were doing comedy three years ago and stuff, and I remember it's, everything's changed so quickly, but it's all yeah. about grinding and working hard. But you know, we don't know what kind of like who did I talk to about this? I forgot who. We don't know what kind of like maybe you you don't have to do it all the time to guard that special thing inside of you too. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, I know this sounds crazy. No, no, no. But I know what you're trying to say, and also like some it can come out in a variety of ways, like. I write and have the same kind of get kind of a similar thing out of it. Yeah, the the it's been a male model where you just grind away up yeah. to a point. And and, I, and now we have other tools to have our projects take off, like the internet, you know? Like you can I definitely think all those years of grinding like got me a great network, but now I can use that network, you know, to make my projects with, you know? Yeah. So and I think I want to just do stand up while it still feels good. Like I just don't like getting to the point where I'm resenting it and I'm resenting my audiences and I'm one of those angry micers who's not getting laughs because your energy is that you don't want to be there really. When I do it when I want to be there, it is the greatest thing in the world, you know, which has been recently like, oh yeah, like I'm just here and I'm taking up space and I'm holding my own and I'm having fun and people love that. So yeah, that's where absolutely. that's a, where I want to be Yay. in when I do it. So uh, you're on the Meltdown Comics Network. Yeah. Casey's Freak Show. Thanks. And where yeah. can we find you on Twitter? Casey Coop, K-A-S-E-Y-K-O-O-P. And follow her on Twitter and Facebook. She's a great writer. And Instagram. Yeah. Yes. The most importantly. Yes. No, she's I'm, a great writer. Really like thank writer. you. <laughs> thank you so much. Let's not argue which is more important. Okay? <laughs> yes, please fight over me. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Great. Thanks for having me. This was rad. I can't believe it's been an hour. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. 